This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Khaldun Alswad, Director of Cardiac Catheterization Lab and Edith and Benson Ford Heart and Vascular Institute at Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. Dr. Alswad, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me for this uh, interesting podcast. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? I am uh, am currently an interventional cardiologist in Detroit. Um, I am at uh, Henry Ford Hospital, where is the Edith M. Benson uh, Ford Heart and Vascular Institute, uh, mainly located. We are a healthcare system for about five hospitals, and uh, Henry Ford Hospital is the mothership. And I actually joined Henry Ford Hospital um, as the cath lab director in 2014 and for a specific uh, task. Um, The task was to build a complex uh, PCI program. And then in addition to that, to direct the cath lab. And as you know, Detroit was coming off um, really a rough time back then and every institution in Detroit was coming off rough time. So by now we are one of the busiest labs in, um, in the Southeast Michigan. Um, uh, our referral base goes all the way to the three states around us, and uh, we maintained volumes while other cath lab um, uh, decreased volume. So before I came to Henry Ford Hospital, I was actually in a private practice in Northeast Michigan in Appleton, Wisconsin, where uh, when I joined there, it was very uh, innovative and a very welcoming medical community. And I was able to develop one of the, um, probably the most advanced CTO-PCI, chronic total occlusion percutaneous coronary intervention. That's what CTO-PCI stand for. Program in the nation, uh, one of the top 10 basically uh, with a few other cardiologists in the, uh, in the nation, we were kind of together developed this program and we advanced uh, percutaneous coronary intervention. We advanced the skill sets, the approach. We uh, actually have um, a great impact on the culture um, of the interventional cardiology community. And, um, and after that, I was recruited to Henry Ford because of these successes. In addition to, I built several other programs. So, and pretty much my history before I, Wisconsin was um, in training and studying. Um, I finished medical school in Damascus University in 1990, and I and and did um, residency there. Um, and um, and then I wanted to do cardiology, so I decided to um, go to the best place I know where cardiology um, uh, is very advanced, which is the United States. So I came in 1995 to Kansas City and I joined University of Missouri, Kansas City internal medicine residency program. And, um, and um, from there, I was able to get one year of my residency because I proved myself and, and I had a previous residency. So, and then I did research with Mid-America Heart Institute um, um, in cardiology. And after that, I joined Oxnard Clinic Foundation in Louisiana to do my cardiovascular fellowship. When it came to my um, interventional cardiology fellowship, I wanted to um, change the scene and, and pretty much learn a new um, uh, uh, approach and school in interventional cardiology. So I went to the Northeast. I went to 
very busy interventional cardiology program in actually St. Michael's hospitals in, in, uh, in Newark. And I was able, within one year, um, I was able to um, train really, um, um, uh, receive excellent training in one year. I performed like twice the number of PCI procedures the average fellow performed in his or her year of training. And in fact, I enjoyed it so much, I forgot to take my vacation. I'm entitled to one month vacation. I actually um, left the cath lab for one day to go learn how to become a clinical investigator. And from there, basically, I moved to Wisconsin and, 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 did, um, and did this. And, and in Wisconsin, shortly after I was in Wisconsin, I became the co-director of the cath lab because of what I brought from a new program like a PFO closure program. I brought it, I expanded the peripheral vascular, endovascular intervention, and expanded the carotid. I actually started running clinical trials with my nurse and I built the CTO-PCI program, and uh, then I ended up here in Detroit, which was a very good place for my family and myself, uh, and continue to expand. Well, that, that's fascinating and really exciting to hear um, your, your journey, Dr. Elswad. And I'm wondering, you know, where does your passion for cardiology come from? It's interesting to you. I always actually ask myself that question. And there are, there are, so there is a, first of all, you start with passion for science, right? And which field of science. So I, I was like top in my school in math and physics and biology. That's basically my strength since I was in, in, in um, early stages of education. But math was actually my passion. <laughs> and uh, because because when I finished high school, my my um, I was going to study math, and one of my cousins who actually graduated the valedictorian uh, um, in his college, math college, he told me, uh, well, there is actually dead end in this country where I was back then for anybody with a math degree. It's like there is nothing you can do after you get a math degree. So why don't you just study medicine as you always have that planned and why are you changing your mind and do math now? I said, oh, that makes sense. Let me go study biology. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I love treating patients and, and, and I love the interaction with, um, with people. And um, basically medicine it requires a lot, of, um, uh, a lot of skills. And unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of physicians don't have all these skills, but I, uh, I like um, consider uh, medicine a, as a, an art and a science, and the art you learn and from the society and how to talk to your patient and the science you learn in the books. So in medical school, basically, I discovered that I actually excel very good in interaction with patient and physical examinations and how to put the patient's mind at ease and his or her family. And then when it came to a specialty, I am um, I like I like um, um, to I like intellectual things um, pretty much. So internal medicine was very very intellectual to me as opposed to surgery. Um, I actually started in surgery after two weeks. I switched to internal medicine just because I discovered the milieu of the surgery was not really intellectual that much. And in internal medicine, I gravitated toward cardiology 
um, because it made most sense to me. And um, and I one of the things I think people like me uh, can I go towards cardiology. If you are a mathematician in your mind, cardiology is the closest thing to math. And uh, it makes sense. It has actually, um, um, it, if you enter certain uh, side of the equation, you know what's going to happen at the other end of the equation. That happens in cardiology, and it, especially in interventional cardiology, that's also true. So, um, so multiple things made me kind of passionate about interventional cardiology. Um, it's, it's scientifically sound. Um, it's very impactful in the patient um, family. Uh, it's actually um, very advanced and cutting edge in terms of technology. Uh, interventional cardiologist, um, um, I haven't seen interventional cardiologist who or she does not enjoy their, their, their work. And, um, and there's a lot of instantaneous uh, gratification, although at my age, instantaneous gratification is not that important anymore. I start seeing the big picture and how um, we impact the quality of life for our patient in the long run. And that actually uh, gives me a lot of satisfaction. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm sure really your patients very much appreciate the passion that you bring to their care and really the field as a whole. Now, I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the biggest issues that you're seeing in interventional cardiology today? We have, as, as, a, as a profession, uh, and, I, uh, and this is probably uh, kind of brewing under the surface, interventional cardiology is a disruptive technology. And um, one of the most um, important um, issues now in interventional cardiology, where do we sit in a, in a, a scheme of patient treatment? So, so we understand that uh, aggressive preventive cardiology or preventive measures um, prevent um, a lot of cardiovascular events. Um, we have a new clinical trial shows that revascularization, which is basically the crux of our uh, profession in a stable ischemic heart disease, patients who just have angina, uh, does not actually prolong their life or prevent heart attacks. But we were so happy to find out that we actually, one of our mission uh, that improving the quality of life was confirmed in a major clinical trials. So, but still, as an interventional cardiologist who um, uh, thinks we need to um, need uh, perfection, it was disappointing that we don't actually increase the longevity uh, of life and we do not prevent heart attacks, although we do uh, improve the quality of life. So I think we need to look into technological development, pharmacological development, and skill development. Interventional cardiology is um, completely dependent on the skill of the operator. And we need to kind of, in, in the development of all these things and multidisciplinary approach, we need to get to the next stage where we actually provide more benefit than just uh, improving the quality of life and added benefit to the other uh, preventive cardiology measures like co controlling the cholesterol and improving the quality of life of the patient by increasing exercise, decreasing weight, and all these measures. So I think our challenge for the next 
few years is to, um, first of all, prove that we are relevant in terms of when it comes to longevity and um, uh, decreasing heart attacks. We know that in a patient with uh, acute heart attacks, we are very, very relevant. Uh, in 50% of the patients who have a stable ischemic heart disease, we need to change that. And after that, uh, what we notice because of the proliferation of uh, interventional cardiology, cardiothoracic surgery is shrinking. So bypass surgery is decreasing in numbers. The number of surgeons available to do uh, procedures are decreasing and, uh, and, and, and the skill sets because there are not so many procedures. So a lot of surgeons do not practice enough and we need to fill that void as an interventional cardiologist the cardiothoracic surgery and coronary artery bypass surgery is still a very good procedure, provide an excellent benefit. And we still need to develop our skills in the interventional cardiology to match that benefit offered by uh, coronary artery bypass surgery. So these are the challenges I see for the future of interventional cardiology. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, when you think about that future, what really makes you excited and what makes you nervous? What makes me excited excited is the, the, that we are moving in the right direction. And I think we are dedicated to uh, finding the answers and we dedicated to improve the technology. Um, sometimes I feel nervous because a lot of times we lose sight um, in, um, in our, of our mission. So um, a lot of the, um, the technology and development uh, is industry driven only. And I think the mission of um, the publicly supported research and is shrinking a little bit in, in our field. And that gives me a little, bit, uh, a little bit of nervousness. Got it. You know, it definitely makes sense in that regard. And, you know, I'm wondering as we wrap up our conversation here, can you share three pieces or a few pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? So leadership is, is, is learned. So you can learn how to become a leader. And there are a lot of resources and books. And, but it's very important also to find a leader and try to get him as a mentor um, uh, for you. If you're not comfortable, if you don't like it, it's not for you. So um, leaders need to be authentic. They need to be on the, on the, in the front of their field, not in the back of the field. They could be seen as facilitators, but in the same time, they need to set the example. I think um, leaders without passion, leading without passion is also a recipe for failure. So um, every one of us, um, when you start in the field, especially when you're in a leadership position, uh, you'll discover that what you learned in school and in, in medical school and, and in a practice is not enough. So um, you need to study hard. You need the leaders, upcoming leaders need to study hard. You, you need to find resources. And I don't think you need to get an MBA or a master's of public health or whatever, but what you need to do, you need to have a, a, a keen cells, a sense of, uh, awareness about your capabilities and about how you're gonna deal with the people around you. And the most important thing, it's similar to patient. If you listen, you'll find the solution. So I'm not sure those three, probably more than three, but um, that's my wisdom in a nutshell. 
Dr. Alswan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.